G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The story. They're bombarded by lack of work, lack of resources, suffering, shelling, fear. At the same time, there is a deep sense of trust and reliance upon the mystery of God as well. God is in control. And so when your life's at risk, honestly, you really pray passionately. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, our guest today is once again Ray Busatil, who's sharing how God led him and his wife to be missionaries in Ukraine, not long after the fall of the Soviet Union. They served with European Christian Mission. Ray's sharing what life was like living in Ukraine and about the ministry work he did there. Ray will also give us insights into the challenges that Christians in Ukraine are facing. Once again, he's chatting with Eric Scatterbo. We didn't have a telephone for the first 12 months that made it uh, very isolating. We didn't have a washing machine for a while. And also with, like I said, the children were five, six and seven. The two girls, we put them into a local school that had never had foreigners before. Yeah, how did they do with uh, trying to learn the language? Uh, it wasn't straightforward, contrary to what other people had said to us. Um, you can imagine they'd go down, like we lived in an apartment block. Everyone lives in apartment blocks and the mm-hmm. ones we were in were 18 floors. And so down on ground level, there's a small courtyard with some basic playground equipment. They would go down there and the other kids would poke fun at them and, Hmm. you know, not engage with them very much. It just seemed to be so odd that, you know, how can another boy or girl not speak (laughs) uh, Russian? It's so easy. Kids can speak it. Yeah. But it's one of the challenges for any missionary is learning language well because Mm – Language is a key to a person's heart and yeah, to communicate. Yeah. And, you know, what you're there for is really to communicate the good news of Jesus to people. But it was a strange new world. My wife, Kathy, uh, would probably express it in a different way. She really did find it very, very isolating, mm-hmm. having the kids to look after. After a year, we had to go and uh, start homeschooling the children, which wasn't part of the initial plan. Mm-hmm. So uh, she found it very, very difficult in that regards. Mind you, uh, after three months, I was sent out to lead Bible study groups. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like from what you're saying, just survival would be hard, much less turning around and teaching people the Bible. Yeah. Yeah, well, well, that's the counterbalance. The Bible teaching part or leading these discipleship groups, local church-based discipleship groups, was just a, a wonderful privilege because people were had an appetite to receive the word of god to mm-hmm. discuss it to learn about it many people were coming to faith for the first time you know we'd be out on the streets outside soviet supermarkets and if you give people those little gideons mm-hmm. uh, new testaments and psalms people would take it and read it yeah. you know we would 
we, we joined a local church and we would go out to a local park of a Sunday afternoon uh, with guitars. Some people would sing. Someone would share a testimony. We'd give our tracks and people, you know, you, you get a group of people, 30 to 40 people. And of a Sunday, people would come to church because both it uh, is something curious, something that was forbidden, mm-hmm. but now they can actually read the Bible or listen uh, freely to talk to people. And again, God was working in their hearts. Wow, it sounds like there was a real spiritual hunger there. Yeah, we assumed they'd be, after 70 years of militant communism, yeah. they'd be hard as a brick wall. But it was just the opposite. There was a real openness and uh, a willingness to learn and to inquire. And it was just, we couldn't keep up with the Holy Spirit. Wow. The church in Ukraine doubled in eight years. And if you were a Christian uh, for five years, you were regarded as a, as a veteran of the faith. Yeah. <laughs> if wow. you were male... If you were male, you, you would be asked to preach as well. Now, we got connected with the Ukrainian Baptist churches. Some of those had been repressed and survived under communism mm-hmm. uh, as unregistered underground-type churches, and they really grasped the opportunity of openness, and they were highly evangelistically minded. So they would go and do street preaching. They would go and do church planning, evangelism, kids' camps, in other places as well. They really grasped the opportunity. And so, look, it's just a real buzz. You know, every, most Sundays there would be a call for anyone that wanted to become a Christian to Mm -hmm. repent, and they would pray for them, and it wasn't uncommon uh, for most weeks for someone actually to come forward and to, you know, become a Christian. Uh, We would have baptisms every month and sometimes uh, you, know, you can get baptized any time of year mm-hmm. but generally people would wait until summertime i would think the, so yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah we would walk to church sometimes across a frozen river yeah uh, that was yeah people do tend to wait until summertime and you know we would have because we lived in Mikolai for two years and then we moved to the capital city kiev and lived mm-hmm. there for nine years oh okay so yes living in ukraine physically tangibly was difficult but what god was doing was just precious and and awesome and yeah it was just wonderful to be there but my wife who was at home and then had to homeschool the children didn't see that i would travel on little circuits uh, leading these groups every week or every two weeks and i would encounter i would stay with the students and encourage and disciple them mm-hmm. and come back and relate it to kathy but yeah she wasn't exposed too much to that. Now, you wrote here that it was made for me like a hand fits in a glove. Yeah. So that was your experience. Yeah. You know, because I I knew what I couldn't do, mm-hmm. but to lead a discipleship group, and we had a curricula, so mm-hmm. I didn't have to write the new material. They still had to prepare and, you know, make it yours and, and deliver it. But I remember it struck me one Saturday morning, I would um, leave home at 5.30 to catch a trolley bus to our central bus station in Nikolaev. I would hop on an early morning bus that would take me to another city called Kahovka. At Kahovka, I would be met with a, another chap and we would drive to a place called Novi Kahovka. And there I would lead us Bible study. And, you know, I was sitting there standing in the cold of a Saturday morning 
miserable. What else would I rather be doing of a Saturday <laughs> morning? Yeah. And then I remember thinking, well, here's this group of people. Um, they also had to, you know, leave their families, travel, and they just had such a keen hunger mm. to dive into God's word and a readiness. And these were adults, they're not teenagers. Yeah. And I thought, what a privilege this is who God has shaped me to be. I could lead this one group of a dozen people and help move them forward in their Christian growth. So, yeah, I could put up with, and I think having been an immigrant in Australia mm -hmm. yeah. has helped to prepare me to oh, yeah. be yeah. one one out in mm -hmm. Ukraine and uh, manage and put up with those harshness of life and yet to see the privilege of God at work before your very eyes. Now, kind of looking back, are some of those people that you discipled, are they still serving the Lord and discipling others? Yeah, look, the vast majority are. Some of those students that I had in the, or you know, people in the group, uh, one in particular, Romand, has become a pastor of the church. He's since moved on. And these folk that do our, in our discipleship groups, once they finish that group, it goes for about 12 weeks, we encourage them to teach the same material to another group behind them mm. as they continue to a, the next level group. Yeah. And to see these young people become leaders and what we say influencers or good disciples yeah. Yeah. of their own generations. And so he's now become uh, one of the pastors of a church in a city called Nizhen, which is uh, being heavily bombed. Mm. Uh, he's married, but he now has just had his sixth daughter. <laughs> and, wow. Um, yeah, so it's uh, lovely to see that, lovely to see others that their ministry has grown. One of my students that was in Crimea is now a missionary in Croatia. Oh, okay. And uh, Yeah, wonderful to see him. Well, that's got to be very fulfilling. Yeah, wonderful to see him reach beyond the mm -hmm. realm of the Russian-speaking world mm -hmm. and Ukraine now to Croatia. It's amazing what God can do. And I, that's what I would say in reflection to the people that I've had input with. Mm -hmm. I would say, yeah, look, invest in people was something that's coming back to me just now. Yeah. When I think about these Ukrainians in war-stricken Ukraine, mm -hmm. what they're doing, oh, the, the men are staying. Most of them are involved in sort of uh, church ministry, humanitarian aid, providing hope and comfort, transition houses for folk. But it's investing in people. Yes, we need to get through the material. Yep, we need to be involved in church ministry. But invest in individuals. Spend time yeah. in their homes, sharing a cup of tea. And, you know, that your influence, our influence, our witness, we've got to be careful not to underestimate that. Mm -hmm. A lot is yeah. communicated without words. You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is once again chatting with Ray Bussatil, who served as a missionary in Ukraine from 1995 through to 2006. We'll hear more of Ray's story and some insights into the challenges that Christians in Ukraine are facing. It's all coming up when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. 
Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. Our guest today is once again Ray Busatil, who served as a missionary in Ukraine for several years with European Christian Mission. Next, Ray will share about some of the challenges Christians have been facing in Ukraine going back many years. Here's more of his chat with Eric Skadabo, which was recorded four weeks after Russia invaded Ukraine on the 24th of February, 2022. Now, the current conflict going on in Ukraine, I guess you could say that the seeds of today's conflict kind of started or were planted in 2004 with the Orange Revolution. Now, for people who aren't familiar with the Orange Revolution, you were there in the country when that took place. Could you tell us what that was? Yeah, there was an election going on, and it was a critical election because there was movements as to whether Ukraine should be siding closer with Russia, which is its uh, major trading partner and the cultural connection, mm-hmm. or whether it's time to be looking more European. And you might remember there was one candidate, Yushchenko, yeah. was his name. Yeah. And he was actually poisoned and his face was all pocketed. Yeah, I remember that. And blew up. Yeah. And so that election fraud caused this massive movement of people onto the streets to, in protest. And uh, there was a sea of orange that was there. And it was very volatile then. That was the color of the opposition party or the party that was in power? Uh, the opposition party, the pro, pro-Europe party. Okay. And so, that, but it was amazing to see this grassroots movement of people because for the first time, it actually showed the Ukrainian nationalism and fervor that enough is enough. Yeah. Corruption is just part of life, unfortunately, in former Soviet Union. you got your mafia, you got your Ukrainian, your Russian mafia. Hmm. It's hard to do business without encountering folk, bribing, hmm. gratuities. You know, it's just part of the framework. It's hard to describe because you don't have to look for it. It's there in front of your face. Mm-hmm. And so people, I think, started to have enough of that high-level open corruption and wanted to have a change. Fortunately, that uh, settled down um, and eventually the new leaders came. All the high promises never eventuated. Mm. And then in 2014, there was another uh, election and the existing president of Ukraine got ousted Mm. and he fled to Russia. Yeah, And then on the streets of Kiev, there was actually um, snipers, the military firing on unarmed citizens. Now, that also create a watershed moment mm-hmm. uh, when people were just, I think, shocked to see that the level of brutality and on the streets of the modern-day city that they've had to defend themselves behind wooden barricades and makeshift structures. So... It's been going since then, but Ukraine in its long history has at different times been repressed by the uh, Soviet Union, definitely, Mm -hmm. and then the Russification of the people trying to eradicate Ukrainian culture. As I understand it, Stalin uh, starved millions of Ukrainians back in the 30s, 1930s. Correct. Yeah, it's called the Great Famine of the Holodomir, Mm -hmm. and uh, it's purported from, uh, I think, five to eight million people were starved. Yeah. This is in Ukraine, Horrific. which is 
often be regarded as a breadbasket of the Soviet Union. Even up to this current war, uh, Ukraine produced 30% of the world's grain and wheat products. So oh, it's wow. a wonderful, blessed and uh, gifted in agricultural soil as well as uh, iron ore and coal in the Donbass region. Yeah, it sounds like there are uh, people that have been yearning for freedom, but they keep on getting oppressed. Uh, just when it looks yeah. like they're going to be free again, then they're oppressed again. Yeah, but this is so unthinkable mm. for them to think of all people to attack them would be the Russians because there is this Slavic brotherhood. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. almost like, you know, I, I share, explain to people, it's almost like Australia invading the South Island, New Zealand and huh. taking control of that. Yeah. We, we joke about it, <laughs> uh, but we would, you know, you would never do it. And that's yeah. how it kind of was. And to think of all people, Russia sending in troops and just this awful carpet bombing and bombing residences and, you know, coming to protect mm. Ukrainians, what from? It's been peace. I used to lead Bible studies down in Crimea for two years. Crimea didn't need any protection. It yeah. was like the Gold Coast. That's where people would go for holidays. Yeah. And it's just been unthinkable uh, to see what's transpired. But this really now is a point of no return. You listen to the words of the Ukrainian national anthem. There's a line there that says, our souls and our bodies we will lay down for the freedom of our country hmm. or our lands. And they're just powerful words. And I yeah. know when they sing the Ukrainian language, it's, but they sing it with guts, so because now it's not just high hopes; it's a daily, practical reality. Yeah. Many are yeah. down their souls and their bodies for mm -hmm. freedoms. Well, unfortunately, we're quickly running out of time. But let's wrap up your story. You eventually returned to Australia. What year was that? Two thousand and six. Mm -hmm. We came back in September two thousand and six. Six weeks before then, um, our eldest girl got married, which is a, a wonderful occasion. She married a, a young Ukrainian man mm -hmm. in Kiev. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the hardest things was um, to leave them there and for us, oh, the yeah. rest of us, to return back to Australia permanently and to allow her and her husband to start a new life there in Ukraine. Now, are they still there? Uh, well, after, no, they, they are here now in Australia. After, I think, four to five years, they immigrated to oh, okay. Australia as well. So, mm -hmm. yeah, we've been blessed with that. But I must say, it was very difficult to leave. Oh, yeah. Them as young adults, but, yeah. Okay. And now just reflecting on Christians in Ukraine, what are the struggles that they're going through now? Um, you can imagine... When we say now, now in the current war situation, the struggles that they're having mm -hmm. is when God doesn't appear to answer their prayers for peace, for safety, they're bombarded by lack of work, lack of resources, mm. suffering, shelling, fear. Um, at the same time, there is a deep sense of trust and Reliance upon the mystery of God as well. Mm. God is, you know, holding on to the promises of God. God is in control. Um, he 
is guiding my steps today. And they, once we've been in touch with her, praying in a way, in a deeper dimension than what they've ever prayed. You know, they're praying for, to get from their town to the next town. They pray that God will close the eyes of the Russian forces around not to see them so they mm-hmm. can have safe passage mm-hmm. and that God would open their eyes so that they will know when to move, when to stay, uh, which roads to take. And so when, you, when your life's at risk, honestly, you really pray passionately. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. Mm-hmm. Mind you, also, some church leaders are uh, in a situation in the central part of Ukraine and the West where you do have a mix of Ukrainian and Russian speakers, uh, background people. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes keeping unity within the church um, is not so straightforward. Hmm. So there is Russian propaganda on the Russian media, mm-hmm. even in Ukraine as well. And so people are hearing different things. So ministers, as they shepherd their flock, as they express compassion and the hope of God's word, they do need you know, wisdom in how hmm. to support people through that. They also have become, uh, uh, all the churches I've heard about, all are helping people transitioning, a mass movement of people from east to west and even into western Ukraine and the smaller villages and towns. Smaller villages, villages, mind you, are about three to 5,000 people, so mm-hmm. still reasonable size, Yeah, but they tend to be less of a strategic worth for any uh, shelling and so forth. So there's... There's a emptying out of people from the cities into the villages to Western Ukraine and then across borders. So many churches become transition places where mm-hmm. people come uh, looking for you know, s- some food or a-, a safe place to put their head down for the night and then move on. They normally stay just one or two days and many mm-hmm. move on. Many don't forget are uh, women and children and elderly folk Many of the men stay, have to stay uh, in their locations to defend or be involved in some aspect. And so do you have these churches with few resources and just see the amazing ways in which God's providing and people to give and to help meet their practical needs? They do have, at the same time, they still are able generally to operate Sunday services and prayer mm. meetings during the week. One of our chaps in the city of Nijin made mention that they had the largest number of, this was two Sundays ago, the largest number of people to the Sunday service ever, Mm. and half of those were non-Christian, non-believers. Yeah. People in transition. And, you know, he says it's just a wonderful opportunity, though difficult, to really provide hope and to help people to look up to God and to pray. Someone said there's no atheists in the trenches. Yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah, people in times of desperation do call out for mm-hmm. help and God provides mm-hmm. directly. God provides through other people on the ground. Yeah, it's just so horrific what's happening, the daily bombing and death and destruction. I don't even know where to begin. I was wondering, Ray, if you could close our conversation praying for the situation and everyone in Ukraine. Sure. Thanks, Eric. Love to uh, Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you with open hands and open hearts. We can't ignore what we see on our 
TV screens um, of the devastation that's going on. We see, Father God, families being torn apart, the sufferings, the desperations in cities like Chernigov and Kharkiv and Mariupol, where water's cut off, electricity's cut off, food supply is uh, scarce and is still uh, freezing cold. Lord, we ask for your mercy upon this nation, upon these people. We pray for peace during this time. We pray for your peace that surpasses all understanding to be real, that people might encounter you. And Father, that there be a this war will indeed stop shortly. We commend them to you, Father. Build your church and help us to continue to raise awareness, to lovingly support, to offer encouragement, send help. And we pray indeed, Father, that other nations may truly rise up and do the right thing, not just stand and watch, but to do all that they can to bring it to a close so that Ukrainian people can live in their own land, worship you, live and nurture the next generations forward. We pray, Lord God, knowing that you are the God of all compassion, you are the King, you are the sovereign Lord of all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Ray Basito, thank you so much for sharing your story and insights into what it was like to live in Ukraine and what's going on there now. Thank you so much. Thank you, Eric. God bless you, Ray. Well, I would just like to join Ray Bussatel and Eric Scadabo in lifting the country of Ukraine up to the Lord. We pray for peace and we pray for everyone who has been impacted by the invasion of their country. Sadly, many are now homeless and have lost loved ones from the constant bombing. And as we heard from what Ray shared of Ukraine's history, this is already a country that has suffered so much over the years. As the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. And in the book of Proverbs, it says, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honours him. To find out more about what's happening in Ukraine and the ministry work that's being done there, you can go to the website of the ministry Ray served with between 1995 and 2006. It's called European Christian Mission and their website is ecmaustralia.org. Once again, the website for European Christian Mission is ecmaustralia.org. Well, thanks for joining us for Ray Bussatil's story and his insights into the country of Ukraine and what's happening there at the moment. Until next time, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. The story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.